Jack. Levi. The Book Club from Hell. because Alex, the drummer and vocalist of the blood metal band Masticate, sent us some clips of himself playing drums over our podcast theme, and I didn't want to talk over it. If you want to hear more of that, Masticate's Bandcamp and Spotify links are in the show notes. They've got one album out at the moment, Power Through Bloodshed, and are currently recording a second one. Anyway, this is our second episode on The Sovereign Individual, so I don't have much to add in terms of introducing this episode's subject matter. If you haven't listened to our first episode on this book, I advise you to listen to that one at least a few hundred times before progressing to today's episode. Anyway, enjoy. Agents that can, like, reactively learn about their environment and then, like, update their goals and do all this sort of stuff, and then you put that in a fucking goddamn robot dog, strap a robot dog to the, like, to a fucking, I don't know, rocket launcher or something, or strap a rocket launcher to a robot <laughs> Wait, dog. where's this going? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like software are you, are you, no, no don't, don't give it away we've been planning an autonomous weapons startup and I, you're about to spill <laughs> the beans on it yeah we're gonna go and uh get funding partner with palmer lucky <laughs> get some, yeah yeah some palmer lucky's uh oculus money start yes we've we have this grand vision of being strikes. able to automate war crimes uh and i reckon <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of money there yeah, or, sorry, or what were you saying? Huge market, huge market. <laughs> um, I was thinking, well, like, if my job does get totally fucking, uh, like, automated and I'm just, like, a fat out of luck at being a software engineer or whatever, I can always just fall back on being an obscure podcast host. <laughs> yep, yep. It's like a backup plan. <laughs> that requires more, more Patreon subscribers, though. That Shout requires more Patreon. people on the $60,000 a month Patreon tier. Yeah. So we do have a couple of subscribers, at least one, right? Oh no! We've, so shout we've out to one. we've got yeah. Shout out go. San San Marzano Supremacy J Man. We've got yeah, you guys, fucking champions. <laughs> we, there, there's, I think it was our first patron. I don't think is on the Discord, or at least has a different name. So I mean, shout shout out to them as well. Whoever you are, thank you. Yeah, whoever you are, all of you, thank you. You're funding our autonomous weapons startup. <laughs> um, and, and what we're going to do, we're going to code into our murder bots that if you send in a picture of your face on Patreon, they won't shoot on site. <laughs> you'll be rounded up and brought to us and we'll you'll shoot es- you escape That's our your heavily- privilege. <laughs> you'll escape our microtransaction enabled war crimes. It's basically yeah. like I'm just going to use Lightning Network to stream And if you hold up your credit you. card to it, it can deduct a fifty cent microtransaction, and it'll spare your life. 
Our model is really just it's it's high throughput. So fifty cents per transaction is pretty low. But if you if you're scanning whole cities worth of people, then the numbers add up. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> you just that's how it autonomous works. weapons startup. <laughs> the book club from hell becomes the robot dogs from hell. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because we're making product. I don't think hell. it's a yeah, big. Nice uh, it's it's not a big additional <laughs> expense to attach speakers to our our murder robots and have them playing the podcast the whole time. Cause so you can, you can double as <laughs> like autonomous weapons, but also some podcast advertising because you know, pe- people will be hearing the podcast at the same time. And some of them, if they survive might go on to be listeners, people, people who subscribe to the Patreon will be able to vote on which episode gets played. <laughs> in the, as in a, the, as a little apocalypse, the book club from hell goes full T 800. On the on the entire planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is what the future will look like. This wasn't explicitly spelled out in the sovereign individual, but I think that's probably <laughs> but, what they were hinting. But if you sort of like read between the lines, kind of if what they're squint. saying. <laughs> if you squint, if you squint and then swap out the sovereign individual for the book club from hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Crypto nukes Australia. Nuclear Queensland, Bitcoin, <laughs> new Hyperborea shooting Rexona rockets into space or into the sun, <laughs> and autonomous weapon systems. And Lightning Network That's enabled us. autonomous um, human killing drones. Yep. Yeah, That's exactly. Us. It's actually a it pretty complicated customer pitch, isn't it? Yeah. So if you support us on Patreon, that's what you'll get. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there's, a, there's a direct line between supporting us on Patreon and the world we just described. That could be the future if you help us make it. So last episode with the Sovereign Individual, we got up to what the future would look like. We talked about the past and talked about megapolitics a lot. But my, mm. my headphones stopped working when we were about to talk about what the future looked like. So, so now we're back. And, and we can talk about um, the future that the authors, I think, play it being sensitive about initially when they bemoan how there'll be much more small-scale violence, there'll be a lot more crime, there'll be a lot of people who lose out. But as the book progresses, they, they become, if not become colder and colder, then reveal their coldness when they keep talk, calling those people losers and quite happily talk about how the most productive members of society will be free of the mass of humanity and won't have any more obligations to them imposed by governments. Yeah. <laughs> It'll when be Daddy beautiful. Jeff gets released from the clutches of the fucking Uncle Sam. Yeah, exactly. When Daddy, when Daddy Jeff can enslave all of us. You can just have... That uh, guy's on the... I bet that guy's taking performance enhancing drugs. Have you seen pictures of him? Yeah, one of the just inflated. Dude, guy's like fifty something, and he's just like went from being a scrawny, flabby, like what's that thing that they call? It's not even dad bod. It's just like, just like flabby. Oh, you know what? Bronze Age pervert would have called him a yeast. Like yeah, a yeast yeah. <laughs> That's what he was, and now he's just yoked up, motherfucker. Like it looks like he fucking <laughs> just crushed his skull with his. All those bands. sweet Amazon bucks are going into D bowl. <laughs> Dude, he could get the purest shit on the planet, you know? It'd be so good. Like, apparently he's... I think he lives in LA and he bought, like, a $400 million house or some shit like that. So, you know, he's just got, like, uh, celebrity doctors and celebrity chefs and celebrity, like, personal trainers 
You probably spend millions of dollars a year on just like getting the best of all that shit. <laughs> you know? Now that you put it that way, it's kind of unimpressive how he looks. Like if he's getting that much, <laughs> he should look way better. No, if, if he's spending that yeah, much, no. <laughs> he, should, he should look like Ronnie Cole. He should look like a cloud. With the amount of muscle <laughs> in his body. He, 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 he just, like, creates the cloud and then he becomes a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he can be the personification of AWS. He can be, he can be the physical cloud as the walking advertisement for the cloud services. That he has so much on. money, he could literally pay Ronnie Coleman to swap his body with him and just do a head transplant. And then pay enough money to reverse Except, all the yeah, damage. Yeah, but Ronnie Coleman's done to Ronnie Coleman's body, <laughs> and then pay for a young person's spine, replace that. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's like medically possible, <laughs> right? At this point, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of up to chapter six, roughly. If we map it, sort of. I know we've sort of been jumping around the book a bit. We're not exactly following it, but it's sort of like roughly. Um, this is where it starts getting. I think like here onwards is really fun. The book. The first half of the book, I find, like, it's interesting, but it's maybe not as speculative, you know? Mm. Like, sort of from chapter five, ah, no, I guess chapter four onwards. Um, But yeah, like, I don't know. I like the more speculative parts of it. I really like it. And when they start making, like, really concrete predictions about technologies, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. One of the main concepts they have, (coughs) they're pulling on is uh, this idea of... uh, they call it the triumph of efficiency over power. And essentially this is like one person in principle, and not in principle, like this happens all the time. There's a really cool uh, online community called Indie Hackers, IndieHackers.com. They've got a cool podcast. Um, they are, I listen to them and every now and then like a, uh, a person will get on and it'll be like, oh yeah, this one person is making a million dollars a year and they don't have any employees and they do it just by selling their software or selling their, I don't know, like online courses or whatever. And it's really fucking cool. Like, it's amazing that that's even a thing that can happen, (laughs) you know? Um, And that's just the insane efficiency Uh, versus like, if you wanted to make that sort of money, uh, like sort of like last century, um, like fat luck doing it as a one person like joint and doing it like without any employees and doing it from your home. Like it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, the cost of distribution of certain services now is so low. It's just trivial. Yeah, it's amazing. Versus like, you know, if you wanted to like say take Henry Ford, like he uh he was able to do what he did in part because he had to scale up these like massive vertically integrated operations and like coordinate huge amounts of labor and then like cut up the, uh, cut up the labor into like very discrete skills that could be standardized. And like, in a way what you wanted is like for the employees or the labor to be replaceable and fungible. Um, and it's like, now we're in almost the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting, though. So when they talk about these sovereign individuals, these people who can independently of location scale their abilities and make lots of money um, with, with their work and with their ideas, 
it does really seem that they're talking about only certain types of work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's because fair. yeah, because in the future you're still going to need someone, or somehow you're going to need, for example, rare earth minerals to be mined so that we can have smartphone screens or something like that. Yes. Yes. So there's going to be there's going to be such a division in terms of how people make money, what sort of money they make, and the conditions under which they make money. And they do talk about how this division is going to be so much wider, how you are going to have this class of people who can buy themselves without any employees or only hiring their temporary contractors, make lots of money, move between jurisdictions if they don't like the tax agreement in a certain jurisdiction or something like that. And then these people who are, it seems like they'll almost exist feudally, how they'll live like on a cobalt mine or something like that and just be owned body and soul by BHP Billiton. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm interrupting. I just made the mistake of reading a comment from the Discord. <laughs> he just said, "He just said, I'm on the verge of total madness, reading through every single Instagram post made by Eleanor Selkie. With each word I read, I feel, I feel an imaginary, an imaginary ultimate reality SE5 being pushed further and further on my ass." <laughs> Shout out to Alex. One of our... I'll put the Discord away. It blows my mind that one of our largest listening groups is is Sweden. So funny. So funny. That's hilarious. What was I saying? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'll put that fucking shit away. Talking about super efficient, (laughs) like, communications. I'm getting getting sick meme and Eleanor Sulky, like, references dropped on me, like, in real time. (laughs) Interestingly, Eleanor Selka and Don Paris, PhD, would have a reasonable chance of being, if not sovereign individuals, because... The authors of this book said that sovereign individuals will only comprise a small proportion of the population because of the amount of money you need. But they probably would be able to move between jurisdictions pretty easily because their their value proposition is... Well, I was going to say immaterial and then realised that, at least in their minds, it is purely immaterial. But it's... It's non-localized. You don't need to be in a certain place to be Ilona Selka and Don Paris PhD recording Tibetana 3 and releasing it on Spotify <laughs> or releasing $600 <laughs> SE5 advanced courses on Udemy. They're actually, yeah, wow. I hadn't even, I hadn't thought of that. Ilona Selka and Don Paris PhD really could be, could be sovereign. Sovereign individuals. <laughs> Like if if Bali starts taxing them too much, they could just they could move and live elsewhere. Holy shit! Holy shit! Yeah, wow. I guess the only limiting factor is they would need access to bodies of water with dolphins in them. But apart from that, they they're not. Which still leaves them like the Caribbean, like um, probably uh, like plenty of Southeast Asia would be viable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe. Even, I don't really um, know where dolphins like Greece live besides like in the in the ocean, but in yeah, the ocean. <laughs> and can't they communicate with them 
like um telepathically anyway so they can kind of ask them to come anywhere yeah so it depends on what sort of dolphin services they're offering if they're just dolphin consultancy services that could be done anywhere because the Ilanaselka could be in the in the middle of berlin and communicate telepathically <laughs> with dolphins and consult that but i think way. they like to if transcend. they're swimming with dolphins then they do need to be a bit more a bit more um physically localized so chapter seven is transcending locality and really, like, Eleanor Solke has, and uh, Don Paris, PhD, have already been doing that for, like, years now with transcending the locality yeah. of their... Not just the locality, but the dimensionality of their physical form and then projecting into higher planes to, to be with the dolphins. Um, I mean, why are we even reading, the, like, the fucking Sovereign Individual at this point? We really should just reread Eleanor Selke. <laughs> Do you reckon they've read the Sovereign Individual? And if not, could we send yeah, them copies of it so they can read it and then give a seminar? I'll be in Bali soon. I could go and visit them. I'm still fairly sure that their dolphin viewing services is actually just a swingers club. Be very careful when you show up there. Yeah, it's just like obscure podcast with murdered in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> Don Paris PhD. Yeah, Jack becomes famous after five. Levi's horror. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it's actually unbel an unbelievably powerful weapon. Just eviscerates me. <laughs> just make, just like making fun what, of it all this time. What is that uh in a in uh in a, in Star Trek where they just like dematerialize the body <laughs> with the transport and teleporter? <laughs> Dematerializes me. Yeah, he could probably do that to you. Could do that to both of us. Yeah, that'd be a pretty cool... Um, this is why you have to live every day as if it could be your last, because we've thrown shade at the Don Paris PhD and he could dematerialise us at any moment. Yeah, or at the very least he could, like... We have the sword okay. of Damocles hanging over our heads, the SE5 of Damocles. Yeah. Hanging over the our immaterial souls. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that... One, one other aspect besides non-locality of at least the class of people who'll be able to move around and in the future and thereby get better sovereignty agreements with you know, a panoply of different uh, sovereignty providers is also that money will be or wealth in general will be much harder to steal or certain types of wealth so they talk about how there's going to be gold-backed cyber money digital wealth yeah they fucked that up yeah which at least all the Bitcoin maximalists who love this book will say, well, it's just Bitcoin. So certain people will be able to put all their wealth oh, into Bitcoin. Backed up by... Which provides a degree of protection of theft from, from governments or from violent hash. actors. Like, there still exist, there still exists, you know, the, the $5 wrench attack where someone buys a wrench for five <laughs> bucks and then corners you and says, transfer your Bitcoin to me or I'll hit you with the wrench. But it is harder to steal. <laughs> Multi-sig wallets, Jack. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and also, there, there, are, there are certain types of wealth because, again, don't, don't someone is going to need to do things like mine raw materials. Energy generation, I expect yeah. like you'd probably have feudal microstates showing up around uh, power plants or something like that. Did you see that um, China's like commissioning like two hundred nuclear power plants to be built? I don't know. Was it two hundred? Oh, 20? really? That's a, that's a lot of nuclear power plants. Yeah, it's like some. Cr 
It's fucking crazy. No, they're just like, yeah, fuck it. We're going to just, we need more energy. Fuck you guys. And uh, you know what? Uh, I'm not normally a big fan of like what the CCP has got going on and stuff, but I think like if w- at least one country is being proactive with nuclear, I think that's good, even if it's like a country that I don't really like. I'm not a big fan of like their, their like. Yeah, um, I, I like nuclear power a lot. I, I think if, if maybe if nothing else, if they are actually doing that, then like that'll get everybody else to start like investing in nuclear again after, you know, there's a lot to fucking like dark winter of nuclear for like the last 50 years. Yeah. So that would be good. But anyways, but I, it is, it's I, uh, interesting. I, okay, I, uh, so with nuclear plants, that's an interesting question. <laughs> that brings yeah. Well, that that brings up an, a question I had with this book of energy generation. Mm-hmm. So if you've got they don't talk about this huge fracturing of of um sovereignty in the future and sovereignties are just much smaller and some of them are not even localized to one geographic area. What do you do in terms of things like electricity generation just given the at least for current technologies for baseload power the yeah. capital requirement for those is huge and the coordination Would you, is difficult yeah how do you coordinate that and uh and also like like i don't agree that it's a natural monopoly like but, but it's definitely like i i can see why somebody might call it a natural monopoly like you don't really want there being too many uh like say power lines going down the street like you know (laughs) so there is kind of a natural um kind of like spatial limitation on just running that sort of infrastructure over a landscape um yeah what's a combination of that but also it reminded me of how earlier in the book they talked about how, for example, in Egypt, you had these more centralised states, in part because irrigation allowed a central authority yeah. quite a lot of coercive power yeah. over, over other people because they could just cut off water and you'd starve if you didn't do what they wanted. And in, it's not a perfect analogy, but I do think it does bear some resemblances providing yeah. electricity to people. Yeah. In that if you're the person or the group who controls which whatever source of um, electricity generation you're using, whether it's coal power, gas, el- uh, nuclear, etc., you can cut that off to people. And, and I'd imagine that would allow for... That, that'd allow for quite authoritarian states to grow up around electricity generation. And... Those those could have the ability to coerce basically everybody else, everybody else around them and become governments. As a countervailing trend to that, though, there are, you know, we'll see where the future takes us with like what what ends up like winning out in different parts of the world. But like, there's also lots of distributed energy technologies. You know, like obviously solar yeah, power yeah. being like one as well. That seems to be finally commercialising after 30 years of intense government subsidies. <laughs> <laughs> just the tone but of your voice. <laughs> I can just picture your face as you say that. But to be fair, you know what? You know, I throw shade at the solar energy industry, but to be fair, fucking the petrochemical industries get shitloads of, like, subsidies and stuff, which I don't agree with that either. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. just, yeah. uh, just so you know. Um, but the flip side is the thing, the difference with nuclear, though, is, like, in principle... 
physically at least, like, like if we actually really invest in nuclear, I, it, to me it seems like an almost completely hegemonic, like, at least with regards to, like, large population centres, if you just have, like, clean and safe, fail-safe nuclear power, I just don't see why you would need anything else for the electricity of the population centre. Yeah. That's true, but I guess in the in the context of this book where they say that governments are going to become so indebted and be so starved of revenue streams that they're just going to fall to pieces, that does raise the question of what happens. So suppose you have a a city or a group of people who get all of their power mm. from one nuclear plant. I think that's yeah. a that's a centralizing force that the authors don't really acknowledge in this book that whoever controls that nuclear plant is if if not the sole ruler of of the area around them which is supplied with electricity by that nuclear plant then there'll be such a significant figure. Although they do talk about <clears throat> they do talk about city states, right? Like we might see a reemergence of city states because wasn't it back in a, they yeah. raised this interesting historical comparison to like Italy? I think back in back in the day, like Florence and Venice and Rome and stuff, they were essentially city states, and it was almost like a confederation of city states or something like that. Mm. I'm not familiar with Italian history, like super familiar, but uh, that's kind of my vague understanding. So you might have more like Singapore, Hong Kong um, situations. You know, like in in the case of a country like um, the United States, like maybe you have like more state power or even like full-on cities mm. becoming sort of more sovereign like i don't know where this goes in the long run i do think that like there's so many you can essentially how do i put this there's so many data points you could pull on to almost tell any narrative you want i could spin a yeah, yarn yeah. about how the world's going to become more centralized because of this like topology of this power versus like like power source energy source versus like it's going to become more decentralized because of the emergence of like this information technology but then it will become this more centralized because of this other information technology like there's a lot of data that you can pull on and which yeah, which like read... trend is going to be more powerful i don't i don't really know yeah at least in terms of this book my read was that the authors were saying that it will just be more diverse so whether whether a certain area is is more centralized or more subject to centralized authority or whether it isn't is going to be much more variable so uh, for, yeah. Yeah, for example with that. the city state yeah. idea which i just i just reflexively like when people say there are going to be more city states i don't know if it's actually what a is good it? or a bad thing to have more city states idea. i just in an animal way like that idea you like it? Really? What is it about? You like, you want to be a pirate king? <laughs> I assume you yeah, want to be a that. pirate king. <laughs> I, just, I just find that it, it's just a very aesthetically pleasing idea that you have all of these little polities, <laughs> these tiny little city-states all over the place. I'm not saying this is a considered position. I'm saying I just like how it feels. <laughs> it just appeals to... Just, you just it like just it. really appeals to... <laughs> There's no underlying... <laughs> no consistent like political philosophy. You're just like I just really like it. No, not at all. I just like city states. <laughs> Cards on the table. I have. It just sounds cool, doesn't it? City states. I don't feel the no. need. To. 
<laughs> I would love to see like the Northern Territory secede. So, when when they're talking about how, at least in their view, there'll be less predatory violence in terms of governments invading other governments or nation states invading other nation states, because there's going to be less wealth that is easily seized because much more of it will be online. I see that as meaning that geography will really determine how much violence there is in an area. Geography, and among other things. So, for example, if one, if one polity has access to a lot of mineral wealth and they're generating a lot of money from that, well, that polity is an area that would be a good target for invasion. Whereas if a polity makes money basically by taxing ever so slightly, I should add, because the two authors of this book are not big fans of tax. If a polity <laughs> gets money by gently taxing the people within it who generate money by uh, all being podcast hosts or something like that, doing some sort of non-local... <laughs> an all-powerful <laughs> podcast host Can with a, an army of, of, living, of in a, living in a city-state of podcast hosts. <laughs> oh, God. Insufferable. Insufferable bunch of douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah. Could you so, imagine living in a in a uh, in a in a cityscape ruled just total autocracy of Jack and Levi? <laughs> That'd be just great, completely because I would be one of the rulers. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in there as a pleb, but I would want to live there as me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. How good would it be to just be able to arbitrarily impose your will on other people like that? <laughs> You know what? On Wednesday, you're not allowed to wear pants. And if I do see someone wearing pants on the street, they'll be immediately executed. Off with their head. Only on Wednesday. Yeah, off, off with their head. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be I, I sometimes... executed in the most extravagant way. They'll be shot out of a cannon or something like that. <laughs> Slung from a catapult into a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. So I was thinking about... Uh, I'm reading... I think I mentioned that. Have I mentioned this already? But I'm reading slowly, slowly reading this book called "For Good and Evil: The Impact of Taxes on Human Civilization." <laughs> it's, it's such a fucking book. <laughs> it's and, book to read. <laughs> and it's so dumb. It's so good though, because it's like the you know, like you think, oh, the history of taxes. That sounds fucking boring, but it's actually really interesting. And That's the author makes a real civilization. Yeah, that it's an you know like if you read uh like say a biography of um Alexander the Great or whoever, um it's like that's only one person in like his small part of the world, but like taxes actually give you a very quite a high resolution like insight into the everyday happenings of like the people, um and it's uh it's really interesting, but yeah like the pharaohs it starts with like an an a historical investigation of the like tax regimes throughout uh the history of uh ancient Egypt up until the uh uh Ptolemaic period um and uh it's really interesting what's really interesting is that the uh how do I put this like they were like god kings, right? The the pharaoh was essentially a deified, de deified person, and um, that's not just them. Like the Persians were as well, and I think the Romans kind of did that to the. I think, or if not full on deification, they definitely deified them after they died and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's just weird to think that like there were these people who would just like walk around a city of like. 
250,000 people and they could just like look at somebody and be like, kill that person. And they would kill the person. <laughs> yeah, that's, what the fuck? <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. But you know, yeah, I want yeah. that power. <laughs> that's crazy when it's somebody else with the power. It sounds like a good idea when it's me and Jack. <laughs> yeah. That'd, that'd be really cool. That'd be very cool to have absolutely arbitrary power, <laughs> complete and arbitrary power. Yeah. And you'd, you'd attract people to this polity with really low taxes. So you, you will be subject to our, uh, to our whims, but you're not going to be taxed much. <laughs> but how, so how will we fund everything then? Um, I don't know, Bitcoin mining or something. <laughs> something really, really high margin. <laughs> um, maybe we can tax other people. <laughs> maybe we can find some slaves and we'll tax them and then we'll let the hyper, the hyper productive people like come and live with us like tax free. <laughs> maybe we'll just have a two caste society where it'll be like uh like Dubai or something. <laughs> um so what were we saying earlier? Oh yeah. Now, I expect at least given given the mental model offered by this book, I think that there will still be pockets in the world of of intergroup violence, but it's gonna be between places where there are natural resources that they can steal. I'm not I guess part of it is is just also brevity. Like they're not gonna, they're not going to go into huge detail on every single possible outcome of the future. But I don't think they really mentioned that there might be areas where there will be increased violence between groups. They seem to say that just globally there's going to be way less violence because everyone's going to be using Bitcoin or some sort of cryptocurrency, and that just reduces the returns on violence. And I'm not sure that's yeah, well, that really, really going to be the case. It depends on your thesis of how much like an asset like Bitcoin, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, um, an asset like Bitcoin actually demonetizes uh, other asset classes. Because if, uh, yeah, yeah, which, you know, is still an open question. Um, I think it would reduce the value of certain assets like yeah, cer- certain state-backed certain currencies. But in terms of yeah. raw materials, especially if everyone is becoming more online, not less, I can only imagine the, the value of those things would go up even more. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we always need to like have the physical infrastructure. Like cyberspace, it's kind of a misnomer to call it like cyberspace, really, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> you know, it makes yeah. it sound like there are still like undersea cables and things linking continents. There's cables and data centers and computers, and it's all physical still. One thing that might might reduce the amount of intergroup violence is they also said that um, that defensive technology will become so much more powerful. In particular, the ability to retaliate against people who attack you. Even after your own death, you could have some sort of bot that searches for, for whoever it was that killed you, killed your physical body, and then, I don't know, empties out their bank account or deletes data or does a ransomware attack on them, something like that. Just your ability to retaliate will be so much higher that few people will engage in that sort of violence because the cost of it will be so high. That's really interesting, especially since we've seen recently the breakthroughs in um, reinforcement learning. Uh, Like, you know, a few years ago, there was uh, that alien, I think it was Alien Requiem, was that it? The um, 
video game where they like made alien like this reinforcement learning bot that like learned how to fucking oh alien isolation yeah that was great alien isolation yeah yeah fucking terrifying game um yeah imagine that shit but like the robot is like in the real physical world coming after your fucking physical body (laughs) like you're fucked (laughs) essentially you're fucked (laughs) and um i i think that like that technology if it's not already here like when really not that far off like like maybe we're 10 years off from being able to like basically manufacture thousands of like um agile land-based drones or like fairly agile air air drones that are small can go into a city and you can just be like kill every human that you identify as over the age of 12 or something. You know? Like, that's essentially here. Like, we have those things. There are DJI drones. Like, imagine just, like, strapping IEDs to those. You know? Like, so, we live in this crazy era where I kind of actually just, you know, like, now I'm saying this, like, I I, like, I kind of disagree with them. I think those sorts of swarm drone technologies are just, like, such offensive technologies, it's crazy. Yeah. Like you can you can launch a whole drone swarm from the other side of the fucking planet. Yeah, and it's so hard to defend against that sort of thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Like they can fly sub radar, like tiny little machines. The the avenues for terrorism are enormous. It's crazy. I don't know. Like, I hope to fuck. I hope to fuck the Australian. Like, what is it? Uh, the Australian defense defense forces are like thinking this shit through <laughs> for my sake. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to anybody in Adva. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. <laughs> Keep on studying, boys. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. Scary shit. I think making predictions about whether there'll be more or less violence in the future is really difficult because so much of it is based on technology, and the authors do acknowledge that. But, yeah, it's the, the offensive capacity of drone swarms is enormous but also we don't know maybe there will be some sort of technology developed that completely neuters that threat it's hard to say but at least the way things are going i expect actually your offensive capability will probably be only increased compared to today unless it's just one of those things where it's like an arms race for deterrence you know like what happened in the cold war with nuclear it's like okay well we've got these drones that are even more powerful yeah, but I think that that only works if it's between a relatively small number of actors, so it, rather yeah. than say a group like ISIS, yeah. or even even just some nutcase who wants to kill a bunch of people. The ability yeah. of people like that to to amplify the violence they can cause compared to today is huge. So we really, I, I like you could say that. Um... Bitcoin is defensive technology and cryptography is defensive technology in the context of cyberspace. But in the context of fiscal space, like I haven't seen a countervailing, I'm not aware of a countervailing defensive technology that can like defend effectively against swarms of drones. No. Like maybe there's something in development, but I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) No. And I think that is a criticism I have of this book that they really do seem to think or they give me the impression that they think that cyberspace is this place that's completely divorced from the physical world 
And if you're making your money on there and if you store your wealth on there, then things in the physical world can't affect you nearly as much. Yeah, like maybe you could say like, okay, if I put all my wealth in Bitcoin or some other digital asset, then like I store the public keys or the private keys in my head and that means I can leave when I want so I can run away to, you know, like my country's being invaded, I go. And sure, that's true, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but your country's being swarmed by drones. Like, you know, you still need to, need to defend against that. It's like you go to the next country, what are you going to do there? Are they going to get swarmed by drones? Like, <laughs> we still need physical defence. Yeah. And I also think a lot of the arguments the authors use to justify why they think people won't be attacking each other so much are quite economic. And I do think the economics of violence are really important. I think a lot of interstate violence is because states think that they're going to get more stuff by invading other states or by attacking them. But there's also a significant irrational component. Various ideologies. When I say irrational, I don't mean that it's not powerful. I just mean that it's not necessarily based on a monetary cost, um, cost-benefit analysis. Like they might invade another country or one group might attack another group because of a perceived slight. Yeah. Or because they have a different reading of history or a different historical myth than another one. Yeah. Or because they have a different religious worldview or some different, different um, epistemology. There are a lot of reasons like that which I don't think... They might be mitigated by changing the economic circumstances within which violence exists, but I don't think they'd be removed. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe that's one of the uh, things you need to sort of take with a grain of salt is their arguments are essentially almost entirely economic and they've ignored those sort of, like, ideological or cultural um, aspects. Yeah. Well, not only ignore, they they explicitly discount them. So they refer to people who, who feel this deep need to belong to a group as belongers, Yeah, fairly derogatory way. <laughs> the thing is, though, I think the vast majority of people are so-called belongers. I think most people have a very deep need to belong to some sort of group. I imagine group. that those guys are belongers. They've probably got a group. Within which they can contextualise their lives. I think that's a very, very foundational requirement for most. I'm sure. And I don't think it's a bad thing. And yeah. Yeah. Probably more healthy to feel a sense of belonging to a smaller, less abstract group than a nation state. But nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that feeling a deep sense of belonging to, yeah, to something more local, like your local community, to a church group, to a, to a podcast Discord server. To, to, to a podcast yeah, or a book club or a podcast about a book club. Yeah, any of those things, really, but mainly the last any of Any of those equally valid things. <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe, yeah. I, I think <laughs> belonging to something larger than yourself and having a feeling of something existing above you is very psychologically healthy for the vast majority of people. Something larger than yourself and feeling like you, you know, perhaps like the deification of two, you know, uh, men talking to them disembodied over the internet, feeling like dedicating your life to Jack and Levi is a very healthy response to um. Yeah, I think particularly dedicating the financial part of your life to us is very Yeah, important. via Patreon. 
Support us on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Support us on and, Patreon, and or we could probably just put our Bitcoin wallet addresses up as well. Yeah, Lightning. lightning I would not say no lightning. to people sending me Bitcoin. Yeah, send us Lightning Network. It's super cheap, man. Download Phoenix Wallet. Send. We'll put up our barcode somewhere, and you can send us Lightning payments. It's like I sent a Lightning payment to my friend. You know what? It costs it costs nine satoshis. Nine satoshis. It, that we figured out, that was less than 0.4 cents. Australian cents, 0.4 Australian cents, and it was like instantaneous. Damn, it transaction crazy. costs that low on Lightning. Yeah, it's nuts, and it's instantaneous. It's like literally oh, there shit. as fast as we send a send a text message. It's crazy. No intermediaries, and the the transaction is anonymous because it's wrapped like Tor. That's fucking wild. crazy. Yeah, I I didn't know it was yeah, that that cheap. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, just from our phone. You know, a bunch of Bitcoin people on Twitter have been sharing our um Atlas shrugged episode because we made so many Bitcoin oh, really? jokes in it. <laughs> Did they like it? <laughs> I really should use the Twitter account more. I barely go on it. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. The Bitcoin. Hopefully, the like, Bitcoin people will like these like, these sovereign digital episodes to too. Fucking Michael Saylor, and he's just like Michael Saylor goes nuts for the book club from hell. <laughs> Shout out to the fucking Bitcoin degenerates on Twitter. I love you. <laughs> there is no second best. There is no second best. <laughs> What about this idea Crazy of virtual technology. corporations that um that that they bring up? I thought that was pretty That's interesting. interesting. I'm not sure to what extent it'll be workable, but also it it does represent how a lot of business is done at the moment. No, like I'll fucking go. No, dude, like the last two businesses I've worked for, they didn't even have physical offices. Mm, mm. Like the business I'm working for at the moment, like literally just got a physical office and it's been in operation for like three years. <laughs> And they only did that because it's nice to have a physical space. I think it's. I think the idea of a virtual corporation was really cool and showed a great degree of foresight and definitely exists in certain fields. But there are certain areas where... So they use car manufacturing as an example of a possible oh, yeah. virtual corporation where oh, yeah. you, you basically you subcontract the manufacture of the doors to some country in... Uh, to some country. Yeah. Some company, say in India and then some of the electronics components from Taiwan and you, you get all of these parts from all over the place and then get them sent to some location for the car to be assembled exactly to the user's yeah. um, or the customer's specifications. I'm not sure. It's... That requires such a degree of globalization. And given that they're saying that that will happen while at the same time you're going to get this huge fracturing of sovereignties, I'm not sure how well it would work for physical goods. So here's the thing, Jack. Like, on the one hand, okay, so I'm going to simultaneously agree and disagree with you. On the disagreement front, mm -hmm. there's, it's really interesting what you're saying. I know it's hard to kind of get your head around, but it is actually happening. And uh, there's a, if people want to check it out, there was an episode a month or two ago for the, from the Economics for Business podcast. It's a, it's a podcast put out by the Mises Institute. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> and it was a really interesting episode where they were actually talking about, they called it like value, instead of thinking about value change, you think about value networks. And they were actually looking at, like talking to this guy who was saying that like, yeah, actually there's these platforms that connect suppliers and designers and to, of manufacturing and, and like sort of, lower order goods and actually doing that now that's where i kind of just like disagree with you to say that that is happening even in its nascent form and it's very interesting even things like 
you know, drop 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 shipping businesses as much disdain as I have for drop shipping businesses. Um, in fact, no. If you, if any of our listeners are running a drop shipping business and you're doing well, I fucking love you guys, and you should support us on Patreon. But, um, <laughs> but I will say to, <laughs> to to agree with you, if you want to produce something like a Tesla, like you need to own. You need to be vertically vertically integrated in the design and the manufacturing and that sort of stuff. So maybe for some classes of things that will happen, except Lego, Tesla, like certain aspects of Apple, like I know they outsource some of their computer chip manufacturing, but like a lot of it is vertically integrated. And even for the stuff that they outsource, they probably have intense like monitoring and control of, of like the processes. So it probably just depends like the specific but there are aspects of the that industry are being kind of networked like they're describing. I agree with you that probably, it, probably that not some of this is happening though. today in a nascent form. What I'm more saying is that our world today is highly globalized. Yeah. And in at least at least in the high income parts of the world, the geography of politics is very stable. Yeah. Part of the reason why people are flipping out over Russia's invasion of Ukraine is because at least in Europe, you haven't had that sort of political upheaval since probably, I guess, I guess Yugoslavia, like the breakup of Yugoslavia. Yeah. And the civil war in the Balkans. Like we, we live in a, a relatively stable, globalised world, but yeah. what the authors are predicting is that's just going to fragment. And while I don't think that makes... Right. I don't think that makes supply chains over large geographic areas impossible... I expect it probably would raise the costs on it. Again, it's they're trying to capture all of these different countercurrents, but yeah, in in certain areas, I think that actually it'll probably get more difficult to run these distributed manufacturing networks than not. But then also, it's a it's a technological question. Like if three D printing gets good enough, you could conceivably manufacture these sorts of things very locally, so long as you had access to raw materials. Yeah, and yeah. It's, I, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point, actually. Yeah. It's, a, it's almost, a, is it a contradiction in their argument? Almost, like, I don't think it's a contradiction. I think, like, they're, they're trying to sum up so many, different, um, yeah. so many different streams of events and trying to predict the future contingent upon so many different variables that I don't know if it's a contradiction. They're just, they're just vectors pointing in different directions. And whatever the vector of the future is will be some, will be affected by those in some way. Yeah. What, one thing that they sort of noted, and they, they make reference to a Kevin Kelly book um, called, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, it's a really good book, actually. I read it. Um, Kevin Kelly book. So it's worth noting. Um, uh, out of control, yeah. Kevin Kelly. So Kevin Kelly is like this really interesting like technologist. I think he co-founded Wired magazine, if I remember correctly. And he's got this good book called Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines, Social Systems, and Economic World, and the Economic World, um, where he talks about like kind of like through a network theoretic kind of systems um, lens, like um, the increasing connectedness of society. It's very interesting. And uh, one of the points he makes is like networked systems are like complex, they're complex adaptive systems. And uh, an interesting phenomenon of these sorts of systems is that like when you apply like some intervention, 
the system actually responds to the intervention. So it's like inherently unpredictable. And so mm-hmm. this entire system, and wh- one of the interesting things is like, you can use like murmurations. Uh, so murmurations are like when you're looking at a flock of birds, flocking birds like, um, what's the classic one? Um, I can't remember what the classic murmuration bird is, but you know, like a flock of these tiny little birds, um, maybe there'll be like a couple hundred or a couple thousands of them, or even the really big flocks, there'll be like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these birds. And they follow these really complex patterns that are like essentially like we can model them, but we can't like kind of deterministically predict how a given pattern of the birds will turn out um, because they're like chaotic systems where like slight variations in like each time step will cause massive variations at later time steps. And um, this is kind of like what's happening in the economic system. And so because of that, everything that they're talking about is like, they're really putting, putting, like, putting a lot out there to like, I guess that's why it's respectable that they're making concrete predictions. But they're essentially saying the world's going to get even more unpredictable. <laughs> and yet they're making predictions about it. Well, this is one of my favorite aspects of this book in that they make these predictions and it forces you to think about how the future is going to look. I still think their direction of saying that you will get a fracturing of sovereignties is probably right. I certainly and think in that such China a world doesn't benefit from a fracturing of that. Probably China and potentially even India. Like how many different like subgroups in India could like really just be their own nation state, you know? <laughs> India and China. Yeah. But that sort of instability and fluidity would probably also push people towards making more networked, not supply chains, but supply networks. Yeah. Because it, it would just be, it might be more expensive, but it's also much more resilient. Ah, uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. And that sort of setup makes things just so much more unpredictable as well. So I, I really respect that the authors made a bunch of concrete predictions. Do you want to talk about some of the concrete, like, technological predictions and see how they hold up? Yeah. One really cool one was they talked about digital servants. Oh, that yeah. Would, we literally would, have um, that now. <laughs> yeah. And I was about to say, like, that we just have those. Like, they just, they nailed that one. Yeah. And I'm about to, like, jump into, uh, there's this thing called LangChain. Uh, it's uh, from, like, language chain. So, like... Um, these uh, things like chat GPT, they're called LLMs, large language models. And um, so there's several of them. There's chat GPT, but then you can sort of like make your own from sort of like off the shelf LLM software plus like a good database and stuff, or you can like use BARD and stuff. But what's interesting is LangChain allows you to, the reason why it's called LangChain is because it allows you to compose like basically inputs and the outputs of like different language models and then plug them together and to create like autonomous agents. And some of the stuff that people are doing with LangChain is like fucking amazing. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, the, like There's basically that, even just like, using ChatGPT is amazing as like an advice. So my wife, my wife's got a startup. I mean, I'm not, I don't need to tell you, but for listeners in a startup and she, they're coding up their MVP at the moment. And she uses ChatGPT to do a lot of it because she says it just codes really well. <laughs> so good. It's like That's when they good. run into a problem, they can ask ChatGPT what's going wrong, and it just tells them. 
<laughs> like we we have digital servants already, and that technology is only going to accelerate unless now. Of course, there are black swan events. Like if there's a huge solar flare and it wipes out almost but all it's going to be objects. But barring those sorts of things, like, it's just going to accelerate. And that's only ChatGPT four. What about ChatGPT? Yeah, yeah. You know, fifteen. 12. 12, 15, like they're just, presumably if it's exponential technology, which certainly seems like it is, it won't just be like, you know, two times better or five times better. It could be 50 or 100 or 1,000 times better. What does it mean for ChatGPT to be 1,000 times better than it is now? Yeah, well, it gets to a point where it's really hard to even imagine what that means. I, I think it's great. <laughs> like when... When, when the slope of that exponential curve gets so steep that it's really hard to predict what the next step is going to look like. I think this is good. I just think it's, it's understandable that people are freaked out a bit by it because it's a transformative technology. And even though people have been working on neural networks since, what, like the 80s or something, and in the last 10 or 15 years it's been popping off, like there's something different. And I know even like six months ago... Yeah, so there was the AI generative art that was people starting to really get into it. But there's something about the quality of chat GPT with GPT-4 or GPT-3 that just like there was like a qualitative change in how good it was that made people, that made certainly has given me a lot to think about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's such that now when you think about your future and what you're going to be doing, say, for money, you need to take into account, okay, what will be able to be generated in, say, a handful of seconds that would take me weeks to do. You really need to think about that now. And, and you really need, you, like, in my opinion, you need to adopt this technology. Like, when you say oh, yeah, technology, you have like, like, as uh, Michael Saylor put it when he said it about comparing Bitcoin and fire is like, you know, the first people who saw fire didn't like sit around and debate about, oh, should we use fire? Like they adopted it. They're like, yeah, give me that. <laughs> I'm going to use that now to keep myself warm and cook my food. There's no arguing. And I think when you say understand Bitcoin, you go, yeah, give me that. I will take as much of that as I can. <laughs> he brought around <laughs> to Bitcoin. <laughs> and when and when you see when you see really high performance like the breakthroughs in the LLMs now, and if they if they get it to like work really well of um, agent based modeling stuff or like agent like autonomous agents, um, like yeah, you should just go. Okay, that is crazy technology that will probably affect me. How the hell am I going to use it? Yeah, especially because. Well, I, I was going to say, especially because I want to make most of my money from writing and things like that. But then I thought, actually, for most people's jobs, that's you just need to consider that. Like, what is able to be automated and what isn't? Like, I've adopted it for software engineering. Mm, mm. It, uh, it helps with... Uh, I've been playing around with using it to model. Like, I would give it a description and then ask it to, like, uh, put out, like, a... Uh, uh, like a typed interface and you know it doesn't always do like a perfect job or like that but I can you can it's called a reinforcement learning with human feedback RLHF and uh, it actually if you then feed if you respond to it and say oh no fix this thing or whatever like it'll improve its response 
And so you actually are in this kind of like um, feedback loop with the machine and learning how to do that well. In the case, this case, I'm using it to like do domain modeling um, for like typed, typed programming language, TypeScript. Um, it's really useful. It, what I found is like, it helps me get out of like uh, the programmer's equivalent of typer's block, of, uh, sorry, not typer, writer's block. So sometimes I just like, I just like my brain freezes up and I just think, oh yeah, like I just like, what am I gonna do next? Or with like this modeling of this part of the domain, like wow, well, just type out like a description of the domain, get into it and then it'll just help me think through the thing. It's almost like having somebody to bounce ideas off. Yeah, I wanna use it, or well, I wanna look into using it for, for proofreading. Looking for typos, looking for yeah. errors in formatting and things like that. Do you use because that's really time consuming, really boring. Sorry. Do you use Grammarly? No, I don't. I use Grammarly. I really like Grammarly, but I don't know if it um, if there would be something negative compared to ChatGPT for it. Yeah, and I, I need to look into those offerings. Here's another concrete prediction they made that I thought was really interesting, and it was a good one. They said that <coughs> that. Mass programming entertainment, like television, so broadcasting, will be superseded by individualized entertainment and customized news. And that's they just called it spot on. They what called happened? it um, narrow casting. Narrow casting. Which I really wish that we'd gone with that word. That's so cool. I, I, that sounds so cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah. Narrow casting. One thing, I, one thing they did get wrong with this prediction, though, is they seem to think that this narrow casting would would make people think more individually. Yeah, it did the fucking opposite. And make them think less tribally. Whereas I think the opposite has happened. I think a lot of algorithmically determined personalised news, for example, just makes people much more likely to get angry at each other over the internet, over a handful of... They almost seem like corporate talking points. Like there, there are a handful of, <laughs> of hot button issues yeah. that people are yeah, today yeah. expected to get angry about. Then next week it'll be something new. It seems to have actually made people tribalize a lot just over a shifting number of things. Yeah. Huh. I, do, I don't see any evidence of more independent thought because of, you know, because of things like Twitter. But then again, I think Twitter's a fucking sewer, so I'm not inclined to be very generous to it. <laughs> you know what like what's interesting about uh the narrow casting thing is um you can train the algorithms like if you just say like like and ignore channels or like certain videos or like um whatever it'll try to improve like your experience and give you more of what you want so if you just like subscribe to the book club from hell and just keep and just go back and like all of our stuff just go on youtube just like all of our videos like you'll just get more <laughs> of our content <laughs> then you so will be happy if you just fucking love this you'll be happier and then when we start uh crypto nukes australia secede from secede queensland from australia from everything from planet earth everything and, and you get space queens like the uh jack and i become the uh the uh god kings of earth um you'll be fully indoctrinated already and you can you can be um on the inner in the inner circle so just keep go back and like all of our all of our shit yeah yeah that's obligatory and there was an entire chapter in this book predicting our podcast and saying that people should send money to it yeah which you should that was probably my favourite concrete prediction that they made. 
Yeah, there's a whole chapter where they just talk about how good Jack and Levi are at podcasting and how they yeah, just yeah. will have so Written many in 1997, fans. which is good. Yeah, so that's very impressive. I was only like three years old or something. So like, yeah, I was four or five. Yeah, and um, they they called it, and they were like, Jack and Levi will be worth at least three or four Bitcoin in the year 2035, which means they'll be billionaires. And um, <laughs> and yeah, it'll be worth an infinite amount of money. School. And the infinite, they'll be infinite heirs. Um, and that's all because <laughs> they uh, they started an obscure podcast that you're listening to right now. What you're like. Get this around your head, mate, whoever you are listening. Jack. Jack, who do you reckon is listening? I think Daniel. 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 If you're listening to this right now, you know what, Daniel? You're like four hours into Jack and Levi talking about the sovereign individual telling Bitcoin jokes. You obviously like this content, Daniel. You should definitely go to our Patreon and give us some money. <laughs> Good boy. But their prediction about... So, again, this was published in 1997. Predicting in 1997... Basically, how how the entertainment landscape looks today in 2023 is impressive. That was a that was really good. Like I only have small quibbles with how they predicted this. And yeah, given... one of my small quibbles. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go on. Uh, one of my small quibbles is just that they said gold-backed digital currency. I think like yeah, obviously yeah. they're not. T- t- <laughs> <laughs> obviously they're not. You know, it's really interesting because I've been listening to the gold bugs talk about. Bitcoin and like listening to debates between Bitcoiners and gold bugs. And it's really interesting. Like one of the gold bugs, Peter Schiff, he, he like um, is trying to advocate for gold backed digital currency. Right. And uh, I mean, it's an interesting, like, I, I think, you know, it's free market, you know, people can put out ideas. It's cool. Um, but like uh, the thing is like, how do you know <laughs> like how much gold there actually is like the soul like it just needs to be internet native and so these guys weren't they were trying to get at it and obviously if they were satoshi nakamoto they were like they they weren't so they couldn't think through actually how you implement that idea in a pure distributed data structure but like kudos to them for like kind of understanding directionally what 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 to like go for which is like some sort of like hard currency that's like extra sovereign so you know that's a small quibble not really a big deal yeah actually are we meant to say that this is not business advice because it's not not business advice hashtag do your own research (laughs) (laughs) not business advice not financial advice do your own research um but definitely uh subscribe to us on patreon Oh yeah, that's that that's financial um, advice. That is financial advice. That's both financial and spiritual. That will make advice. you really wealthy. That will make you spiritually wealthy but financially poorer. Yeah, actually yeah, that's a good way to put it. You might be materially more poor if you give us sixty thousand dollars a month, but you'll be spiritually much richer. <laughs> All right. Which other predictions? Oh, they predicted the metaverse. So I said yeah, we'll yeah, have the metaverse. More economic activity will be in the metaverse, and it'll be out of the reach of bandits and governments. And uh, they, whenever they talk about bandits, mentions of governments are not far behind. <laughs> yeah, I think they they kind of touch on it a little bit, sort of cybercrime, but I think mm. you know, like they kind of underestimated how 
bigger fucking industry cybercrime would become. Like, yes, cybercrime yes, was fucking huge. Yeah. And I think maybe really by implication when it needs to be. and extremely sophisticated. So, like, ultimately, you actually need extremely sophisticated, like, cybersecurity, a cybersecurity industry to like, counteract that. Yeah. Because, so it, it, it comes back to defending wealth. So, even if you've got your wealth in something like Bitcoin, where unless you send it to someone, they can't steal it. But what that means is that as a cyber criminal, what you're aiming to do is coerce someone into sending you their, their cryptocurrency. And there are plenty of ways of doing that. And, and just because more economic activity goes online doesn't mean those ways disappear. No, I guess it's, it's, it's just the cat and mouse race. Um, what is that? How do you say it? Like just the game of cat and mouse or the arms race. I really yeah. like it. Is the arms race just becomes a cyber arms race. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, I don't know. Also in terms of, of assets in the metaverse being out of the reach of governments, I guess it's similar to cybercrime in that it, maybe a government won't be able to just raid your crypto wallet in the same way that they can, they can raid your bank account if they really want to. But there are, there are ways that they can coerce you into giving them money into you, in, in inverted commas, uh, willingly sending them the money that they want. I guess they might, like, maybe there'd be a reduction yeah. in, in that. I suppose the argument is I, that you're, I don't think they're you're saying reducing the attack surface. Yeah, yeah. you're reducing yeah. the attack surface, or you're making it harder. Like, you're never going to, there's no magical plane of existence where you're just completely free from attack vectors. But, you know, you want to make yeah, it harder. Yeah, yeah. And if, you, if digitizing your property and turning it into, I don't know, like contracts or DAO memberships or Bitcoin or, or like whatever is, is one way of doing that, then sure, like that sounds like great. It's like, you know, it's good for people to have that option. Yeah. Did they, did they talk about 3D printing at all in this one? Or am I getting this my wires crossed with another book? I don't think they talked about I'm not 3D sure printing, they mentioned 3D printing. 3D printing, just to chuck that one in there anyway, it's like... 3D printing is a decentralizing one, it seems, which is very interesting. You know, yeah. If you actually had a highly sophisticated I thought of 3D, 3D printing, printing when they were talking about um, delocalizing stuff, because so long as you can get... So suppose, just for argument's sake, you have a 3D printer that can print you know, arbitrarily complex things. So long as you can get the raw materials to it, that is really decentralizing, because now you won't have those, say, big factories that can be coerced or exist to coerce others that need their services. I suppose the ultimate um, decentralizing physical technology is the universal constructor that um, like von Neumann originally came up with the idea of like the constructor or the universal constructor, like a machine that can perform any phys physically possible transformation given the uh, right input material and it's loaded with the right program. And uh, that's like uh, David Deutsch's current research project. And um, it's really interesting, you know, like the theoretical idea of it. And I suppose we're just building more and more complex machines sort of asymptotically approaching this like this theoretical mm. construct, but like, at the at the extreme, it's like okay, if we were able to create something like akin to a universal constructor, and then our wealth is basically just like what are the programs that we can feed, and what are the raw materials we can feed into the constructor, um, that would be ultimate decentralization. Just like you can, well, you can just have access to yeah. any transformation you want. You could just make your own population from scratch. Just get it to make a bunch of humans. Yeah, you could make your pump own pump out humans. Um, 
you could just pump out humans. You could just go to the Kuiper Belt and just pump out humans into space and just fill space full of like sort of dead fleshy corpses. You could turn turn the solar system yeah, into a frozen like, corpse tree. Yeah, frozen humans floating around yeah, in the exactly. Kuiper Belt. That'd be that'd be replace creepy. the asteroids in the Kuiper Belt be, with be frozen fucking human bodies. It'd be pretty fucking metal though. That'd be yeah. That's a really good idea. Just to strip entire worlds of resources so you can make humans in the cold vacuum of space who instantly <laughs> die. So they can, they, can, they can be in the Kuiper Belt. So they can be in the Kuiper Belt. It's for basically all the time. a protection strategy against aliens, isn't it? Like if you yeah, get just, an alien, just scare them the fuck away. <laughs> come yeah, around, they, they go, they, they'll cross the Kuiper Belt of just dead bodies, light years of dead bodies. <laughs> and they'll just turn around and go, nup, nup, this is a bad neighbourhood. I'm not going in. Oh, yeah, just send a signal out. <laughs> Something's gone wrong. <laughs> Something we took our most advanced technology and we just created pure horror. <laughs> yeah, we created a get off my lawn about a, lot of, a lot of weapons and stuff this episode. What's up with us, Jack? What's, what's going on? What's, what's up today? <laughs> well, it's because we've been brainstorming for the autonomous weapon startup. Well, that's it. <laughs> So it's hard to get your head out of the but game. But go to Palmer well. Lucky and David Deutsch and say, all right, guys, we've got an idea. We're going to fill the Kuiper Belt with dead bodies. Short-term goal, murder bots. Long-term goal, replace the Kuiper Belt with dead bodies. That's our stretch goal on Patreon. If That's we get enough money, we will, make, we will make the dead body kind of build a reality. Yeah, right after we destroy the ozone layer and declare nuclear war on the Antarctic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just completely destructive. I'm partial to the idea of nuking the moon. Fuck yeah. Do you, would you be able to see, if you shot a really big hydrogen bomb at the moon, like you, you, Do you reckon if we could blow it up in the shape of a smile? Do you reckon you could see it? Yeah. Because that'd be really right. cool. I reckon you could blow up, um, like, could we reshape the shadows on the moon? Like the, the, the um, you know, those shadows are formed by the valleys and stuff on the moon. Could we reshape that? Shadow oh, could we like make it so that the moon says BCFH? BCFH like with, on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be some really good guerrilla book club from hell marketing. Well, it's not really guerrilla. Like, it's not underground because it's pretty obvious if you should. Yeah, presumably we need to, do, do, like, um, harness a lot of energy and resources and manpower on the surface of the planet in order to be able to do that but yeah gorilla it's still gorilla in in like a kind of galactic scale it's pretty gorilla yeah that's true yeah it's still yeah. small <laughs> if you consider it from a big enough perspective <laughs> <laughs> if you just completely reframe it in terms of another order of magnitude <laughs> then yeah it is a small thing yeah. well what would gorilla would there be any downsides to shooting that many nuclear weapons at the moon i see no downsides probably not might They'd disrupt the around. nazi base but you know i'm pretty yeah sure they might cool notice sort of they're pretty metal yeah 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 no i think that's actually not a bad idea moon we would need anyways. more funding i probably could couldn't fund that myself <laughs> shout out to michael saylor if you want to take any of your billions of dollars worth We've of... We've got a uh, really good coin, project for you. We've got a great idea. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to blow up the moon. <laughs> no, we know, you don't blow up the whole moon, but... It's okay, we so everyone likes them. fireworks, right? Everyone loves about, fireworks. Yeah. I don't know anybody who doesn't like fireworks. How many Tsar Bomber, 
sized bombs would you need to shoot at the moon to be able to see it with the naked eye? A couple night. million? Maybe. Yeah, maybe not even that. Maybe just I actually like don't a... know. If anyone knows about nukes, uh, in the Discord, I think there was someone called Void who knew a lot about nukes. Yeah, right. If, if someone no... knows just how, how many megatons we'd need to shoot at the moon to be able to see it with the naked eye at night from Earth, let us know. This is important. Isn't there a, um, isn't there a person on the moon? A person on the moon? Like yeah, right there's a person on the moon. Now? Yeah, there's a man living on the moon. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. So when we're talking about downsides, he would probably notice if we just shot a bunch of hydrogen bombs at him. I think he's, Im- I think he's immortal. But, you know, you can't make an omelette without right. breaking some eggs, right? And this omelette <laughs> is shooting nuclear weapons at the moon because you can. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say that's marketing. worth it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a marketing strategy. Sorry, I forgot. And, yeah, that's chapter 12. That's chapter 12 of The yeah. Sovereign Individual. Um, so, <laughs> okay, which other predictions did they make before we got sidetracked about nuking the moon? Uh, I, I, is this, an inst- this is more of an institutional prediction than a technological prediction, but an institutional prediction was like, uh, I think they called it government a la carte. Yes, <laughs> because they're, yes. Because they're douchebags. <laughs> where you just reconceive the government as like rendering services for payment and you enter into a like contract like a a, a sovereignty contract with a with a, a nation state or a city state and you just will pay for the services that you use and um you know because you're a fucking giga chad who earns like a trillion dollars a second and you're so economically productive they just like they'll they'll give you a blowjob as you walk into the to the fucking um to the uh embassy so yeah they want they want the your cyberspace officers they want your they want you have your, like uh, a us you'll have a, a little um <laughs> a little silicon mouth that you plug into a usb port that they'll activate when you enter their premises in the multiverse the multiverse the metaverse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a really interesting one because I think that has already been happening for a while. Like, hasn't it? Like, isn't it like that's the whole deal with places like Panama? And um, I mean, as you were saying in the first half of the episode, like um, the multinational corporations were already doing that with, but on the scale of like billions of dollars, you know, like, you know, hold Apple holding their money in. Um, Ireland or then there's Panama or Montenegro is the other famous one, tax havens. So maybe those sorts of arrangements become more and more common amongst smaller and smaller entities until it gets down to the point of individuals where an individual might have $50 million worth of Bitcoin and they just say, all right, well, I'm going to enter into like a non-standard negotiation with, I don't know, Switzerland or something for my sovereignty services. Yeah. What I found really interesting was that the authors seem to be hinting that it won't even necessarily be geographically restricted like that, so that you have a single governing entity within a some sort of geographic area. You might have multiple overlapping sovereignties. So you now that's a crazy. You subscribe to some some private security service, and they protect you. And then you also subscribe to. See, I'm not sure in terms of providing infrastructure like running water how this would work, but 
you, you subscribe to some sort of utility service as well. Everything's just privatized. Yeah, it's everything just really is just paradise. a libertarian, crazy crypto anarchist. Just you have a contract with every fucking light post you walk past. <laughs> you yeah, got to exactly. enter into voluntary contract with everything. <laughs> 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 you step on a fucking lawn there's no it's just like oh yeah this lawn is somebody else's fucking private property you fucking trespass now you gotta fucking like you're gonna get now you're getting shot 50 times or something oh yeah you just get a shot on spot yeah. and it won't even be like some old you man with a shotgun it'll killed. just be it'll just be a fucking drone will just laser you eviscerate yeah you without mercy just won't even think twice about it and it'll be like thank you for shopping at amazon <laughs> you stepped on Amazon's yeah. property <laughs> without signing a contract exactly. with Uncle Jeff first. We just widowed your wife because you mm. stepped you stepped on a square centimeter of someone else's lawn. Now your kids are going to starve. Congratulations! <laughs> and, it's, and it's because the entire civilization is just run by like these uh, auto, auto, automaton bot thingies. Like um, you know, there's no court of appeal. There's no like, oh mate, you know, like I didn't see the red light. Like you know, I thought it was fucking no. There's instant here. death. It's just instant death. Like exactly. like Robocop. We will actually manage to make a society which, wherein all of the rules are actually. Formed by and enforced by non-human entities, and humans will just be cowering within this non-human infrastructure it's of like rules. Panopticon of rules and and uh, enforcer robots, and everybody will be happy yeah. because you won't own anything except for Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> already feel slightly stressed by having the subscription <laughs> services that I have. Just constantly getting messages like, oh, your payment details didn't work. We're going to try again tomorrow. Can you imagine that happening except with your security? Like, oh, we're not oh, going to protect yes. you from all of the marauders Dude, outside of your house anymore unless you pay us. Stressful. I did an audit of my subscriptions the last week just because I'm like, I need to get my finances together, man. You know, like, I'm, you know... Just like, Jesus Christ, Leo, like, you're fucking, like, nearly 30, dude. Like, come on, get your shit together. That's my self-talk. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just look over my bank account. I say, what have I subscribed to? Jesus Christ, man. I just subscribe to random shit. And I, then I, I use it, like, once, and then I stop using it. And then it's like, I'm paying, like, 50 bucks a month. And then you forget like, about what it. What am I doing? What the hell am I doing? It's just, like, burning money. So next month... As of next month, I'll have more money to buy Bitcoin with. So anyway, the future is going to be a heaven of everything being a subscription service. Every job you have will be in the gig economy. It's going to be good. And it's we'll just be, be eating. Really looking we'll just, forward to it. Really looking forward to it. And everybody will just eat, like, crickets. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You will eat bugs and you'll love it. You'll fucking love it. You'll fucking love it. You know, there are some people know, who are man. really, really upset by the idea of other people eating bugs. You know, almost every time I've seen he's brought up <laughs> the bug eating, he's, he's really, really upset by the bug eating particularly. So funny. Like, to be fair, like, hundreds of millions of people eat, like, bugs, right? And, and like other types of animals, just what you're used to. Yeah. 
No, I just I only want to eat vertebrates. No, I, the more legs the animal has, have the better taste. I'm not even going to mm. stop with squid. I mm. just go straight to like millipede. Yeah, roast that shit up. You genetically engineer millipedes to have even more legs. <laughs> legs on his back. Millipede, a trillipede, <laughs> trillipede, a trillion legs. <laughs> anyway, so wherever we except it's not even a misnomer. It actually just has a trillion legs. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a single neuron linking together a trillion egg legs. Yeah. There's like no other metabolism. That's the future of, um, of human nutrition. You just you <sighs> keep genetically engineering more and more legs into organisms. And <laughs> it makes the, it more delicious. the quality of the food, the quality of the nutrition increases. It increases linearly with the number of legs. <laughs> This is how we taste as a function of the number of one legs, organism but... with the maximum number of legs. Yeah, we convert all the other agriculture into just like creating this infinitely long leg animal. <laughs> 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 and we all just just this just twitching on mass legs. Of, of, of connected legs just wrapping around the sphere of the earth. Just 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 a single yeah. massive legs. Lovecraftian <laughs> horror. <laughs> Whilst we're filling the Kuiper belt with with human bodies. With dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> There's alien Galileo looking at us through through its telescope. <laughs> like just is so scared he just like destroys all of his scientific artifacts and then just like no we're yeah, yeah. We need to stay in the Comes Middle back to their planet and he's like, okay, you know this technology stuff, we've got to stop. I've seen We need where to stop it. Goes. It's gone too far. We don't want to we'll just stay uh we'll just stay right here. They just cap the technology. We're gonna go back to pre agricultural times. It's not worth it. <laughs> it was a better time. <laughs> Well, uh, okay. What else did they predict? They predict. Oh, they predicted things like um, automated lawyers, which yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean that those sorts of industries are probably going to be a bit more like, like I reckon lawyers might be a little bit slower to be automated. Not necessarily because the technology can't do it, but just because of like the institutional like slowness of a of a yes. field like law. And yeah, yeah, but I think probably it will. And you know, maybe there's situations like L the LLMs aren't like they're not thinking; they're just making predictions according to like mathematical models that they're using. But like, they do really good jobs, right? Like anybody who's chatting is like, "That's an amazing job." But when you're talking about like splitting up like a million dollar estate in a divorce, or like when you're talking about like child custody situations, you probably want a human to double check what the robot's done. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say there'll be certain things like family law. Where yeah. <laughs> part of the lawyer's job is also mediating between different humans. And yeah, a and human is much better at that than chat GPT. So yeah, things yeah. like commercial <laughs> like commercial law, a bunch of things in that field I think could be could be automated. Yeah. But family law, stuff like that, probably yeah. much harder to automate. You probably don't want to. You certainly have tools to to help the, the lawyers, but I think a lot of people want to talk to a human when they're when they're getting a divorce or something like that. Yeah, and, you know, maybe it just means they, they don't have to do as much grunt work. Like, professions uh, where, like, human connection is, uh, and, like, understanding ambiguous, like, uh, making sense out of ambiguity, those sorts of fields are going to be 
resilient to this sort of automation. Yeah, or at least they'll change. So, for example, with medicine, I imagine a lot of, so over the next 10, 20 years, a lot of the cognitive tasks of doctors will probably be quite automatable. But patient be, interaction, honestly. yeah, people, people will still want to interact with humans. So I expect that role will change in that there'll be less diagnosis and procedural work and things like that and more. You'll, you'll probably actually have the fields of nursing and medicine moving closer together. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, so much respect for nurses already, but like uh, mm -hmm. yeah. nurses, they, like their clinical skills are amazing compared to like, I mean, obviously not all nurses and not all doctors, blah, blah, blah. I know I'm making generalizations, but like there's a lot of nurses with amazing fucking clinical skills and really good people skills. And there's a lot of doctors who like- Well, I mean, they're extremely highly trained. At, yeah, and uh, and so like if you basically imagine like being able to use this automation to bring up like move the nurse up the stack, amazing. And then maybe doctors like clinical doctors move into like other aspects that uh, currently they don't they don't use like they don't do stuff in yet. But maybe they move to like I don't mm, know yeah more research like or counter, something counter strikes skin gambling or something like that. Yeah, yeah, or just like doing a foreign exchange crypto leveraged uh, hyper gambling on anonymous offshore. <laughs> exchanges who knows <laughs> the, the, the yeah. future is open yeah. <laughs> you could you can do anything <laughs> um yeah so it's super interesting i don't know yeah i don't know where it goes oh telemedicine they made a prediction about telemedicine and about like uh, precision medicine at a distance yeah you want a really fucking good internet connection for that yeah, you don't want fucking shitty Australian internet connection. <laughs> you want yeah. you want some fucking <laughs> yeah, South Australia be the last yeah. part of the world to get it. You want a South Korean internet connection for that shit. You want like top of the fucking line, like zero pin. No, nah, it's gonna be like okay. So when you're playing a game of Counter Strike and you've got shitty lag and you keep missing all your shots because of the lag, imagine that, but it's surgery. Yeah, the just surgeon like... keeps like chopping out the wrong bit of the brain, and he's just yeah, screaming yeah, yeah. down his headset. Using all the gamer <laughs> language he knows, screaming about lag, calling uh -huh. everyone else slurs like a true gamer. That's that's what tele telemedicine's gonna look like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so good. Um, but then you think like, well, do the robots just do that as well? And then the humans are just eventually. Overstaying? Yes, it's just like the the safety requirement needed for these sorts of tasks. So it's it's not like when you can laugh at an, an image. Um, some sort of AI model that labels images, which can't tell the difference between a chihuahua's face and a, like a blueberry muffin. It says, oh, these are the same thing. These are both dogs. The, uh, the downside of that happening is a lot worse when you're trying to do a Whipple procedure or something like that. Yeah, but maybe one of the only problems is that the reason why these sorts of um, algorithms are so powerful is because of the amount of data they have access to. So I just wonder, like, mm. with certain types of surgeries, would they have enough training data to actually do this with the current I've found that particularly on YouTube, there's a never-ending supply of Indian doctors just filming operations. Never-ending supply so of Indian doctors. It'll probably all just be trained filming, on... Filming themselves, on popping people with blackheads. Dodgy, <laughs> shitty quality, um, like, shitty image quality videos from Indian surgeons just filming their day job yeah, and uploading like it to the internet. Filmed on a potato. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, filmed on an iPhone. Potato 9000. And, um, yeah. 
and and uh, the ones that I fucking love were like uh, in, in when I when I was studying that stuff was uh, were the doctors, the Indian doctors. They film themselves uh, popping people's like blackheads, <laughs> like pushing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so fucked up and but so satisfying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, look up blackhead removals on YouTube, guys. It's fucking crazy. Or the cyst drainage videos. When, and especially when it's someone doing it in their living room with a bread knife. Oh, man. <laughs> or you want to hit see the craziest ones? The craziest ones are like worm removals. Yeah, those are, those are really gnarly. And hookworms? Hookworms? Hookworm removals? Fuck me, man. That's some serious... I, parasitology always freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you see I think... a surgery of someone pulling a hydatid cyst out of someone's brain? Oh, oh my God. Yeah, you see, I think that we should be more open to errat- just completely eradicating cer- certain species. I think that we should go out <laughs> of the world <laughs> and find all those fucking nasty flukes and worms and shit, and we should just hunt them down and destroy them. I have absolutely no sympathy. We should we should animals. genetically engineer infectious organisms to infect those other organisms. <laughs> it becomes like the, the I just don't see any way that this could go out wrong. Out of the Simpsons, <laughs> you know, have you seen that? It's like where what, they've got the snake problem. They've got a in 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 a Springville. They've got like a snake problem, so they introduce like gorillas or some or like they they introduce what was it? It was like um <laughs> like some sort of like a bandicoot or something to, to, to get the uh, raccoons to get the snakes and then they need to get rid of the raccoons so they get the gorillas. And <laughs> it's like that except with parasites. Yeah, exactly. So you need to miniaturise gorillas. Miniaturize <laughs> to, to, to attack the gorillas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just eat a capsule which contains like miniaturised gorillas, gorillas injected rampage through nanometer gorillas kill any into sort of worm they find, <laughs> and they're all like Donkey Kong gorillas, and they've even got the yeah, yeah and they just throw barrels at the. <laughs> so you need to miniaturise little barrels as well, and put those into your system. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of R and D required, but I think this is workable. But it's exponential technology, so you know, like people think it'll be a hundred years, but it's really more like two or three years. Yeah, we're going to have miniaturized gorillas. <laughs> and they can, you could use them for a lot of things. Because if you made them even small, so suppose you've got a problem with your cholesterol. If you made really small gorillas that could recognize cholesterol in the blood <laughs> like, and just smash it. Subcellular scale gorillas. Just really? So it's, yeah, you, it's about getting the right size of gorilla. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. We just need to iron out some of the technical details. We also would need the gorillas to be able to breathe underwater, given that they would be in your blood. Although they could have tiny little. So you need to modify scuba, the gorillas a little bit. Little tiny scuba gorilla scuba masks. Actually, yeah, that's a better idea than making gorillas that can breathe underwater. You just give them really small scuba suits. There's these things called rebreathers. They're, uh, mm. they're, they're for diving. Instead of taking down tanks, you take down, you recycle the air. Yeah, we could give the gorillas these little rebreathers and then they could stay inside you for like 13 hours, taking out the plaques. Mm. 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 Yeah. You'd need the gorillas to be dissolvable as well, though. 
because <laughs> yeah, and lipid soluble. You don't want to clog up your blood with nanomachinol gorillas with little rebreathers. With little rebreathers to to run around clearing out the cholesterol. <laughs> okay. oh, so we just solve medicine because I don't we think there's any medicine. real uh, pathology that couldn't be solved by targeted small gorillas put in the right place. <laughs> That's, that sounds pretty good work for an episode. You? We just solved medicine. There, done. We just, we just Billionaires. <laughs> little tiny gorillas. Little, little tiny gorillas. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I'll good. never be hired at a hospital again. After coming out with with just such disruptive technology as the tiny gorilla idea, yeah, the entire medical uh, industry around the world, the global medical for industry, the collapse of the medical because <laughs> you've replaced all doctors and nurses with little gorilla tiny idea. little gorillas, gorillas, little gorillas, introducing little gorillas by Doctor Jack. <laughs> <laughs> The little gorilla nine thousand now with rebreather technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Other than the little gorillas, which other <laughs> <laughs> did they make? <laughs> It's in the book. It's in the book, guys. Go read it. Little gorillas. Yeah, most of this book's actually talking about <laughs> actually about gorillas. little gorillas. <laughs> So, I guess we we discussed this in the previous episode how governments going to try to rally nationalist sentiments to protect themselves against <laughs> an inevitable decline in their their revenues. We probably don't need to talk about that anymore, do we? Actually, here's an interesting one. <laughs> they said it's going to be an equalisation of wealth among geographic areas. So. A, a region in Africa at the moment will be generating as much wealth as a region in North America or in Europe because you're going to have access to cyberspace. between the little gorillas. <laughs> and, yeah, everyone's going to have access to these little gorillas and microprocessing technology. And microprocessing. But little the differential of wealth within a given area will be much sharper because you'll have a handful of hyperproductive... Um, Sigma Little males girls. who are just grinding out. They're optimized <laughs> as fuck. They're currently training for their 60th marathon in an Iron Man while also just making like a trillion. Little gorillas per second. <laughs> little gorillas are going to be the form of exchange in the future. Bitcoin is going to be killed by little gorillas. People are just going to be trading little gorillas for goods and services. <laughs> the medium and exchange, the majority of gorillas people become the global <laughs> medium exchange by by getting money from the government, which just which forcibly taxes the most productive members of society, takes all their little gorillas and redistributes <laughs> the little gorillas. To- <laughs> To less productive people, those people are just going to be so much poorer. So there's going to be a huge the Gini coefficient is going to be out of control. But there is going to be an equalization of wealth between geographic regions. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's quite insightful. Yeah. <laughs> 
I feel, I feel like the rest of this episode is just going to be us talking about little gorillas. <laughs> it's so good. Just the image of little gorillas is just so satisfying. <laughs> I want one. Not, it's hard to predict the future of technology. <laughs> and no one predicted the little gorillas, did they? It's hard to predict the future of the, of the little gorillas. Once that comes, that is a world-stopping technology. Because it's even you imagine, so people are always worried about Moore's Law running out. Well, if you can oh just my. keep miniaturising gorillas to perform <laughs> effectively the task of logic gates, you just have all these little gorillas acting as logic gates. <laughs> yeah, like quantum logic gate little gorillas. Quantum, quantum little fl- gorillas. <laughs> quantum little gorillas. Subatomic little gorillas. <laughs> the size of quarks. <laughs> little gorillas the size of quarks. <laughs> <laughs> you have little gorillas existing in superposition states. <laughs> Infinite like little gorillas across the entire across the entire quantum multiverse. Just it just turns out the universal wave function we're all just made of tidy little gorillas. Just little gorillas. <laughs> we're actually just an emergent phenomena of this coagulation of little gorillas. <laughs> and when we inject There's... the little gorillas into our system, it turns out that we reunify the like different levels of reality. <laughs> yeah. What's with Stephen Wolfram talking about his theory that the entirety of nature really is based on cellular automata, these tiny little, yeah, these tiny, tiny little gorillas, little things just performing basic functions, but they they have this incredible emergent complexity. Well, those cellular automata are just little gorillas. Little gorillas. <laughs> there's there's ten really to hundred little gorillas just updating reality every every picosecond. Throwing barrels at one another through the quantum multiverse. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the means by which they interact. It's the basic function performed by a little gorilla is to throw a barrel at another little gorilla. Fan fucking Here's something. So the authors say that the cyber economy is too fluid to be monopolised by a single government, which is part of the reason why it will break up nation states. But then there are certain nation states, like in China, where they've been able to effectively make a walled garden of the internet. Do you think that's sustainable? Do you think they can maintain that walled garden Chinese internet? Yeah, a really interesting technology that's come out recently is NOSTA. It's called uh, Notes. It stands for Notes and Other Stuff Over Relays. Mm-hmm. And it basically is a it's a it's a protocol suite. So it's a, it's a bunch of um, it's a set of protocols for exchanging messages between servers and clients and stuff um, <clears throat> using like asymmetric like public private key cryptography, where you basically uh, can distribute messages to other people, like say tweeting, kind of like tweeting, like you say. You could subscribe to me, but you don't subscribe to me on any particular server. Server, and you don't subscribe to a handle. You subscribe to a public key, and I have control of publishing to all of my followers who are following my public key because I can sign any message with my private key, and then I send it to mm-hmm. these relays, this like open network of servers, <clears throat> and it's like resilient against like attack because. N- like I might elect three or 10 or whatever relays to like 
send out my messages into the network. And then if one of them gets taken down, it's like, that's fine. You, ha you have redundancy, right? But you also have like anonymity or privacy because this is using public private key cryptography. Unless you want to be known, you, you don't have to associate your identity with the public key. And so <clears throat> that has been popping off in China and <clears throat> relays, Chinese relays have been being shut down because like during the protests, like when was that, like 12 months ago, like the big ones that were popping off, they were, it turns out like students and stuff in China were using Nostra to communicate. And I think like they're, they're like struggling to like keep this Nostra relay networks from popping up in China. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, super interesting. That is actually, that's something in, um, that's something that the authors of this book did really well in that they traced a lot of future developments back to encryption technology and private public key encryption technology. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So it sounds like they, they obviously didn't uh, explicitly predict something like Nostra, but they did say that this encryption technology is going to be the basis for so much of the change in, in political systems. That's pretty cool. I it's do think they really, really transformative that aspect, right? technology. When you actually get your head around, <clears throat> sorry, I'm like, there's just so many tiny little gorillas in my throat. So making it hard for me to <laughs> breathe. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, so, um, you know, oh man, I must sound like a broken record. Like I just say like Popper or fucking Deutsch or Michael Saylor, like every other episode or every episode. But I just have one more thing about Saylor. <laughs> he made this really interesting point about like, you know, you want to master the technologies that are commercializing at the time that you're coming of age. And I would argue that you're coming of age between like your early 20s and like your sort of mid to late 30s, depending on like when you finished uni, Levi, you should have fucking finished uni a bit earlier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I would say that like strong encryption, especially in the form of like Bitcoin, but also like power Bitcoin technologies like Nostra and Lightning and stuff is like one field of technologies that's like maturing and commercializing. And is, we're about to see like five to 10 years of explosions in like technologies related to encryption <clears throat> and like that sort of encrypted um, social media, encrypted like assets, encrypted cryptocurrencies and that sort of stuff. And then the other one is like, that's about to commercialize really heavily is like obviously like LLMs and reinforcement learning and these like bots and autonomous agents. And those are the two big ones that I reckon are probably gonna characterize like the next five to 10 years of like crazy technology stuff. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and there might be other ones as well that I, I'm not aware of. Um, obviously things like streaming has been really big. We're using that right now, um, obviously, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's profoundly transformative technology when you just realize like what, what encryption essentially allows you to do is it allows you to put a wall between you and an attacker. And what that means is there's like, there's actually an emerging economy. It's like the cyberpunk economy or like the cipher, as in like encryption cipher, like the cipher economy. And the cipher economy is represented by like, the quintessential case would be like a person on using Tor to communicate with Nostra Relays builds up, you know, 100,000 followers completely anonymously where they're all following his or her public key and they're publishing their thoughts and they can't be tracked. And then they monetize like they're publishing using lightning wallets that are completely anonymous and can't be tracked. And they make like a shitload of money of just like distributing information over like Nostra or something like that. You know, that would be like the kind of, 
um, archetypical example of the sort of like that's the sort of thing that's possible now, at least in principle. That person might exist already, if not at a huge scale, but kind of like potentially there might be on the Nostra network right now somebody who's making money through Lightning and they're completely anonymous. And yeah, that's what these people are talking about. And none of their transactions, mm-hmm. none of the payments that they're getting sent are traceable by the government. If that person doesn't exist now, the, the capability exists. Brings me around to actually one of their concrete predictions is that democracy won't survive in the next few decades. That's a crazy prediction, isn't it? Yeah. So these, these authors very much believe that there's a hierarchy of talents in people and that some people are just, are just going to be wealthier and more productive than others by virtue of the fact that they're smarter or that they have some predisposition to skills that are valued by society at that given time or whether they, they have um, like a, a better work ethic than others. And they say that democracy basically existed because of a few historically contingent um, circumstances which won't be sustained. They said that, that cheap and widely dispersed weaponry and weaponry that can be used effectively by, by non-military trained people and a military advantage for a large number of infantry, lots of standardised work in factories, admin jobs, those are the sorts of things that allow democracy because it allows a sort of flattening of people's productive output and also it's more easily controlled by a central government more easily taxed in the case of say standardized work in factories or in administrative roles but they think that these conditions will disappear they also say that democracy makes substandard leaders and so isn't worthwhile i think actually i do think the the leaders made or selected by democracy oftentimes aren't Great, but that's probably not where the value of democracy is. The value of democracy is more being able to circulate leaders and circulate elites rather than necessarily selecting the best leaders. Because if you look at our current crop of elected leaders, it's not particularly inspiring. But I, I don't think that's the advantage of democracy. I, I'm very undecided on this. I think probably, like, maybe a more important question in politics than how do you select good leaders, is how do you get rid of bad ones? And I think democracy does that better than many other systems that we have. And that's, that's a big advantage of democracy. Sorry, I think that's something that the, uh, these kind of crypto anarchists don't seem to address directly. I've never heard them address it directly. Mm, I don't know what they're... Maybe if I tried to still man the position, maybe they'd say something like... Um, market forces with voluntary contracts or something like that uh, is actually a better error correction mechanism than the mm-hmm. slow institutional cycles of like hijacked, politically charged, um, often you know two or three party states. Maybe, maybe I'm like I don't actually know what their response is. That's why I've suggested that we should read Hans Hermann Hoppe's uh, "Democracy: The God That Failed" because that's like the Bible of the people who think this way. Um, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I haven't read that yet, so I don't. I don't know. Yeah, and it's probably a better steel man of their position than we could offer. Yeah, but I think that it does. They raise a super important point, which is like, it is a fact that uh, just you know, just when you look at the books, just a small, relatively small number of people foot the tax bills. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we need to get into the discussion about inflation, but, like, 
Certainly it's not the case that like taxes, so wealth is not evenly distributed, income is not evenly distributed, but also tax burden is not evenly distributed. So like if uh, these technologies shift that axis, then maybe it will like really affect the way that uh, modern Western liberal democracies are able to actually like essentially like try to buy votes by saying we're going to give benefits to this group of people or whatever. Because they won't be able to afford it anymore. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can't afford it at the moment. It's mostly funded by debt. Yeah. So they're taking from the future. But eventually that debt's going to come, come due in some way or another, whether it's through hyperinflation or defaulting in a debt or whatever. Unless you um, believe in MMT, in which case you can just have as much sovereign debt as you fucking very well you like. believe in magic. You just believe in fucking magic. But, you know... I suppose, like, you can try to read fucking tea leaves as well if you like. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they also say, given that there'll be so many different polities and sovereignties, the outcomes of governance policies will come to matter a lot more to people who are looking around for a jurisdiction uh, than the process by which these, polit- these policies were conceived of and validated. I think that's interesting. So... I guess at least for people who are highly mobile, um, like if, if they really don't like the direction that a certain jurisdiction is going in, they'll just leave, is, uh, is probably what the authors would say. That's very interesting, isn't it? I think that's good. I think it's a good thing. There's an interesting little book. I think it's called, uh, it's called Vote Something Leave. It's a book. It's basically like you can vote with your vote directly. You can vote with your voice by, like, doing things like, you know, writing to a politician, I suppose, or, like, doing something in the media. You can vote with your dollars in the market or by boycotting stuff where you can... Ultimately, you can vote by leaving a jurisdiction if you are lucky enough to live in a jurisdiction where you can actually leave. Um, And, yeah, I think that's a, a mechanism that... I suppose what they're arguing is that as you digitize your wealth, the cost of leaving is lower and lower whereas like yeah. if all your wealth is tied up in say real estate or like uh, uh say like stocks or equity in like a jurisdictionally restricted and regulated um corporate entity then you're very tightly coupled your physical body is very tightly coupled to the jur- physical jurisdiction so you want to decouple those two so you can leave when you want yeah that is something that is a criticism i have of this book where both authors seem to think that most people can or maybe should be able to just leave certain areas and the, particularly the groups of people who live in those areas without so much as a backward glance. I think most people find it quite hard to move countries, so to leave their family circles, leave their friends, yeah. leave their language, their culture and things like that. And I think most people would be quite unhappy if they're just constantly uh, moving around and not belonging to something in that way. Yeah, and I think that's... I I don't know how reflective that is of the vast majority of people. I think maybe what they might... At least the way I interpret it, and I might be wrong, but, like, it's more like it gives people that option. So it's not... It's like like you Mm. don't have Mm. to actually leave, but if a large number of people have the option then it's like you can't push people as much. Okay, yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, 
So if they if they can at least credibly threaten to leave. It's like you don't actually have to act on it for it to be an effective tool. Yeah, 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 that's right. So it shifts the like mm, mm, almost like yeah, the right, game right, view yeah. of it, I suppose. But yeah, obviously there's social and emotional and cultural costs to leaving. Not It's just not purely economic. Yeah. They've got this section at the end of the book on the social morality in the information age that I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Where they're basically talking about how, how our culture will change to reflect this much more mobile, less geographically located world. And I do, I like this quote of theirs. So they said, cultures are not matters of taste, but systems of adaptation to specific circumstances that may mm. prove irrelevant or even counterproductive in other settings. Mm. So they have this idea that with which I I largely agree that many aspects of culture are actually adaptive changes to to local circumstances. Yeah, that pe- people on mass behave in different ways in response yeah. to to local circumstances, and those behaviours that that are more advantageous tend to stick around when compared to those which don't. Mm. And from this, mm. they try to predict how the culture of the future will look. And I thought that was a really, really cool project. Yeah, it's a, that's a fucking difficult one, isn't it? I have a framework yeah, in my... It's really, really ambitious. <laughs> I have a framework in my head. Uh, does this touch on morality? Maybe I can bring in a morality part of it. I haven't really thought through the morality of it. But I have a framework in my head for kind of like... Uh, is it anthropological or something? Like understanding of humans. And it's, it's pulled from... One part's pulled from Deutsch, one part's pulled from Popper, and one part I've tried to add myself. One part is like uh, Popper says, uh, the closed society versus the open society, and the closed society mm. is one where like uh, criticism is restricted, and the open society is one where there's a culture of criticism and you have like essentially freedom of speech. Um, and then Deutsch innovated on that. He added a uh, dynamic versus static society, where a static society is one in which uh, like not much change occurs or no, you know, at the extreme essentially negligible changes over the, occurs over the course of a single person's lifetime such that the society that they're living in is largely the same, whereas a dynamic society is one where, like, a lot of changes occurs within a single person's lifetime. And obviously that can accelerate, like, we're experiencing at the moment. <laughs> My addition to that was, like, concrete versus abstract. To be honest, Popper actually said that first, but I tried to think about it more. And I think, like, it's a really good point, uh, like societies used to have much more concrete relationships between people like even in the extreme it was like small tribal societies in australia like they had a very close-knit interesting kinship networks and probably everybody knew everybody and that sort of stuff um and whereas now it's like we're becoming increasingly abstract even the idea of just a medium of exchange Mm -hmm. means that you can abstract away a personal relationship with other people in an economic network to like engage in cooperation with people. You just engage through the API of the, of the medium of exchange. And, uh, but now it's like, we've got that online. It's like, okay, you can, you can conceivably like make money by just gaining an, an audience on a pseudonymous Twitter account. And it's just completely abstracted away. Like, it's so abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you can do that through a blockchain, which is just, like, even more abstract. <laughs> you know, so it's, like, these, this idea, this, uh, like, the skill of thinking abstractly is becoming more and more valuable. But I, I have not been able to get my head around, like, well, what does the morality, like, where does morality sit in this kind of tri-axis mm. of dynamic, where increasingly dynamic uh, a, 
I would hope that we're becoming increasingly open, though that's not necessarily clear to me, but, and, but increasingly abstract global society. Yeah. I haven't actually considered the morality piece of that, but I might think about that. That's very interesting. Yeah, they seem to view morality here in quite a utilitarian way, in that in many ways uh, they seem to be saying that, the, that morality evolves as an adaptive mechanism with respect to the circumstances within, within which a given culture is situated, and that some of those just promote behaviours that are more conducive to greater amounts of production. So, for example, not stealing from each other. They, yeah. they seem to see as an evolved morality, which allows societies to scale better than ones in which stealing's cool and is encouraged. That's interesting because I think like stealing on the internet, if I think there's lots of hackers and there's lots of scammers and they can like in some cases just get away with it. There's no consequences and they don't even see the face of the person they're stealing the money off. So you mm-hmm. need to make technology that just defends against that. And actually as uh, in response to that, they did bring up that they expect that in the future... Things like a reputation for honesty will be much more highly valued than than it is now. Yeah, that's super interesting. Given that it, it will be so easy to just steal stuff. Or if, if, for example, you're part of this anonymous virtual corporation, it'll be easier for people anonymously to just steal stuff. So having a, re- a reputation of being really, really honest will be worth a lot more in the coming social morality. I thought that was a really interesting prediction. That's super interesting, yeah. That's why it's interesting, like, on uh, some of the blockchain um, projects, like, outside of Bitcoin, like, they're looking at, like, trying to associate, like, um, like reputation and stuff. Like, even in some of the um, decentralized autonomous organizations, they're trying to, like, sort of have quantified reputation uh, attached to these, like, identities. Some super interesting experiments. I haven't seen anything really compelling yet but you never know where it'll go one thing i also found really interesting was that they're not advocating for moral relativism here they do seem to be saying no there are certain behaviors which are just moral which are just beneficial and they're arguing against a total moral relativism but also against brittle um, very very strict moralities which don't update over time yeah, as the circumstances within which a moral system exists change. Okay, so maybe if I just map that into um, what I was talking about before, so you're more abstract, more dynamic, more open, and also more interconnected, and potentially more decentralized world. Mm. Those those are the other two things: is connectedness and, and centralization versus decentralization are the other axes that I think about sometimes. Um, so if I map morality into that, it seems as though like you need to cut through. You need to be able to seen, be seen as like as an individual on your own merits, like the quality of your work, your integrity, which I would say like always mattered anyways, but like maybe it matters even more so in this world now. Yeah. You just juiced up. You just like, you, like this people are basically like, you could have interactions with thousands and thousands and thousands of people by the time you're in your 20s online, maybe more. And so in order to like, be seen by those people as somebody that is worth following or worth supporting or worth working with or whatever. You need to be seen as like, actually, yeah, this person has integrity and the people who don't have, you know, it's like, what are those um, kids online? The, those two brothers, the blonde ones who are the YouTube, like um, 
they have like a boxing match with um like some famous oh the 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 disney channel ones yeah Um, those kids um like paul oh yeah the brothers yeah paul and something yeah this shows how someone yeah jack and i are with the meme culture logan paul down with the kids logan paul logan paul yeah like they arguably actually and the other one yeah his 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 little brother or whatever um like they acted they had a very severe lapse of integrity during the crypto bull run of 2021 22 the nft stuff and um you know like maybe they made a few million dollars or how much they made five million dollars or something in the short run but then arguably like they've like fucking destroyed their reputation and it's like if you're a large-scale influencer over the course of 20 years or something like your reputation their reputation would be worth more than five million dollars you know over the course of their career and maybe they've just like flushed them mm-hmm. down the fucking drain you know yeah that's why we're very very upfront with um with how honest and trustworthy we're we scamming are. the shit out of you what you <laughs> The little gorilla's idea was a scam. <laughs> it was just a rug pull operation. It was just a rug pull. There were never any little gorillas. There were never any little gorillas the whole time. <laughs> they never existed. They never, they never even started the project, man. <laughs> they, just, they rug pulled us. They just got some guy on Fiverr and fucking put little gorilla faces on on fucking Virion. All that money man. we raised for the little gorillas. I just spent in Roblox. <laughs> Roblox and Lambos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Lambo's in Roblox. Lambo's in Roblox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a good point. I think that's interesting. I, I don't know if I fully agree with them, but it's an interesting thought experiment to think through. It's the sort of thing where I don't have a, a fixed opinion on it. I haven't yeah, thought about yeah, yeah. it. Or I, I haven't come to a firm conclusion. What about this? This, is, this take is definitely going to be one of their most controversial ones. Yeah, go on. Where they talk about, okay, so... This social morality or the, the evolution of moralities they view as effectively being driven by market mechanisms. No. I guess you could then say okay, it's driven by Darwinian mechanisms. So no. those behaviours which promote say, group cohesion, as, amassing wealth, protecting wealth, providing security, tend to outcompete those groups which are governed by less competitive rules. On the basis of this... They say that subsidizing bad behavior with things like welfare or international aid does people a disservice <laughs> by removing by removing effectively price signals of people's morality, which is why we should we should get rid of international aid. <laughs> I really like this this I've never heard this argument against international aid before. Extremely sophisticated that. moral argument against just defunding the welfare state and Ending, ending foreign aid. <laughs> this is just curmudgeonly old men <laughs> complaining about their taxes. It's just really just like an incredibly sophisticated complaint about paying taxes. Uh, that that is basically this entire book. This entire book is a really it's long really meditation on why they don't like paying tax, and then trying to like flim flam something in there about technology. <laughs> And that yeah, just yeah. finishes with... And complaining about the Clintons. There is a lot of complaining about the Clintons. And it's complaining cool. about the fucking Clintons, yeah, yeah. And then it just finishes with, and about the authors in appendix, resources for achieving independence, where it's just, they just plug their fucking consulting services. They're just selling you their services. 
they're plugging their they just scare you into fear, fear about the oncoming like apocalyptic end of the world and but you can make shitloads of money if you just evade taxes and store all your all your wealth in bitcoin <laughs> don't worry mate we've got a financial services newsletter which will fix everything up we've got a financial you. services newsletter but um yeah i fucking love this book though <laughs> i really enjoyed this book i'd recommend this book to basically anyone like, even when you don't agree with them, even when they're being curmudgeonly, even when they're being like old man yells at cloud about paying too much tax, they bring up so many really interesting points. They make a lot of predictions which were accurate like in 1997 may, may, about may the world still today. Come true. Yeah. And some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which still may come delayed, true. Some of the ones which, which haven't, haven't proven true quite yet. It's a really interesting book. It's fun reading too because. The authors are just so elitist. They just they keep going off on tangents about how people are fundamentally unequal. They complain. I think there was a section where they were complaining that in certain jurisdictions at the moment you can only get McDonald's, but now because of oh no, in the past you could only get McDonald's, but now because of international hotel chains, you can get Bollinger wherever you are in the world. They're just, they're just well, they know their target. They're market. just so obviously both extremely wealthy curmudgeonly men which is quite funny to read and and they really just know that like the people who are going to read this and want to get our investment advice they're just like you know bankers and financiers and probably like you know tech entrepreneurs and stuff who just want to like minimize their taxes and just fucking buy bentleys and shit and so we're just going to sell them that narrative (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, it's pretty funny. I really like the book, though. And uh, also, it's a good his, book. I the guy's it. interview uh, uh, with uh, Robert Breedlove is actually really interesting as well. <laughs> he, and he, like, reflects on, he reflects on the book and stuff. As much fun as I make of this, this guy, <laughs> these, these two. Well, it's part of the fun of this book in that it is, it's quite a ridiculous book, but it also is a worthwhile book. It's the best combination. Yeah, it is a good combo. It's kind of like Atlas Shrugged. It's like a ridiculous book, but you're also like, oh, they make some good points, but also then they're paying for gold in their fucking hyperproductive utopia <laughs> in Gulch's gold. It's like, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's so funny. Man, we need to read some, like, ridiculous shit from the left or something now, you know? like Yeah. Well, we've got that feminist glaciology paper. Yeah, that's coming up. And do we, what's our, yeah. you, you, you suggest a couple, should we, um, were you going to say a 40k book or something or like a, uh. So J-Man from the Discord suggested a, an Evolian reading of a Warhammer 40k novel, which does actually sound pretty fun. Oh, we need, we need fits. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, let's do that. An Evolian reading of a 40k book. Should we pick a 40k book? I feel like, um, either we go just with the classic, um. Like there's this, I can't remember. Apparently the Horus Heresy ones are good. The Horus Heresy is like the best one. And apparently it's actually like a fantastic book. The original, like the first in the series of the Horus Heresy. Um, yeah. I would really also like to, in addition to doing funny, like making fun of funny progressive stuff and doing a volley in readings of 40K novels, I want to find some really weird fitness trends. Because there's some absolutely stupid bro science out there. I love bro science, but... Some of it is actually not true, unfortunately. Every now and then, bro science isn't true. 
And I would like to cover some dumb bro science. <laughs> yeah, mate, we should cover, cover some bro science. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else do we have to say? Oh, yeah. Thank you for everyone who sends us questions on Discord. We'll probably have an episode where we answer, where we collect together those questions and answer them. Yeah. That's, that's coming up. Wait, what should we call the... Um, I'm going to make a fitness channel on the Discord. What should we call the fitness mm-hmm. channel? Because I was born in the dankness is the meme channel. I think maybe we shouldn't change because it's just like such a long, long name. Born in the dank. I was born in the dankness. I do, I do love dankness. Um, then we've got... Yeah. The problem with got, calling the fitness channel Yukio Mishima is that that will only make sense to a small number of people who are probably already invested in the Discord. What about... um? <laughs> what about something crazy to do with like... Um, I could just, we should, could just call it like body dysmorphia. <laughs> body dysmorphia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> yeah. Or bigorexia. Extremely. Bigorexia. I feel mate. somewhat attacked at so ac- accurate. <laughs> bigorexia. Bigorexia. Yeah, I'll call it, I'll call it bigorexia. That's so good. I love the Discord. You guys are fucking awesome. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say? I just want to say... um, You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. If you actually listen to the end of this episode, that's very impressive. Yeah, Um, thanks for listening. I hope you you two love little little gorillas as much as I do. (laughs) (laughs) The little gorillas and inscribing the BCFH... Insignia on the moon. The so the weapon. best thing that you can do to um uh to like um uh support the channel is share it with a friend or share it on social media, support us on Patreon, or join the Discord. Any of those options are fantastic options. Join the Discord is great. We have a, a great time and um you'll join a bunch of widows like yourself who will listen to five hours of me and Jack talking about the sovereign individual. Yep, that's everything. Thanks for listening. Good night. Thank you. See you all next time.